0: In this episode of Own Your Business, we're going to learn why listening is more important than talking if you want to grow your business. Your couples will tell you everything you need to know to book them, if you can hear what they have to say. In fact, it's the number one skill for a wedding pro who wants to conduct successful discovery calls. In this episode, you're going to learn how your potential clients look to you as their leader, how you're accidentally shifting the conversation back to yourself, the power of paraphrasing and what couples feel when you're not paying attention to them. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Do you ever think about that long, windy road of weird jobs that you had when you were growing up or maybe when you were in college? And how did that lead to where you are right now as owner of your business? For me, it started in a blueberry field. I grew up in Portland, Oregon area, about 20 miles outside of the town. We had a five acre plot and next to it was a blueberry field. And I remember when I was younger in fifth, sixth grade during the summer, I was out playing in the yard and I could hear people in the field next door having so much fun. And when I could legally, I got a job there, got up very early in the morning, went out and picked berries, 65 cents for a five gallon bucket. I might have picked 25 or 30 buckets every day. That was fun work. I caddied at local country clubs. Not because I made a bunch of money, but because I got to go out and play the course every Monday. Hit the driving range. And they were the best courses in town. Then I got into restaurants. Got a job bussing tables at the local Holiday Inn with my friends. I once was a lot attendant for a boatyard. I moved motors around. And cleaned boats all summer long. When I got into college, I did some cold calling for the annual giving fund. Every day I'd go into work for three hours from 6 to 9. I'd start on the East Coast, go on the West Coast. And I would call the stack of cards and ask them for money. When I was a senior in college, I got a job writing for magazines. That was fun. Loved doing that. Long drive to commute into Seattle, but it was well worth it. I loved seeing my name in print. I love talking to really intelligent, smart, accomplished people, learning from them, hearing their stories. After college, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And while I was trying to get into school, I worked construction, did odd jobs, remodels, built my uncle's workshop with him and his team. It was fun stuff. One of the things that you might notice about all of these jobs that I did is that they were about getting things done and they were all done by myself. Now, in 2003, after I gave up my attempt at doing teaching and I was trying to figure out my way, I got a job up at the resort that I'd worked at after college, waiting tables, and decided to get into management. It wasn't because that's what I wanted to do, I actually wanted to wait tables. I didn't want to manage the restaurant team, but they didn't have a position for me as a waiter and they did have one for me as a supervisor in the bar. And I remember the F&B director and the GM telling me that management was a different kind of work. And I realized it was. It was different for a lot of reasons, but the big reason was that it was no longer about me getting results individually. It was about the team getting results collectively. And it was about my ability as a leader of that team To get them where we needed to go. Now. A decade later. I had moved up through the ranks. At that resort. I had gone from bar supervisor. To bar manager. To restaurants manager. Eventually. I got plucked out of the restaurant. And went into event management. And then I moved into my role as lodging director. That was the fall of 2006. And I stayed in that role for a long time. In November of 2013, after trying to find my way as a manager, I was at a human resources conference in Asilomar, and it was a seasonal human resources conference. So we were specially focused on the things that we needed to do with a highly seasonal hospitality environment. And I remember sitting down listening to one of the presenters. Her name was Laura Moriarty. And she was talking about situational leadership, how we have to manage individual members on our team differently, depending on their skills and experience and and also the way that they like to communicate. And I knew right then and there that I needed to level up my leadership game. I needed to be a better manager. I needed to stop learning from my own mistakes and instead start learning from an expert. And I knew Laura would be my guru. So I hit her up when I got back from the conference, shot her an email, and asked her for some executive coaching. My boss, the GM, super supportive. He's like, do whatever you want. We want you to be the best manager you possibly can be. So I brought Laura in to do some coaching with me, some one-on-one coaching, and help develop some of my soft skills, some of my leadership skills. The first thing I had to do was get a 360 evaluation. Now, if you've ever gotten a 360 evaluation, wow, it's an eye-opener. Basically, you get feedback from not just the people that you work with, but the people that you supervise and also your boss. And all of the information is brought in anonymous, so everybody's very candid and very direct. I got a lot of really good feedback, positive feedback of the things that I was doing well. But really what we are after is what could be improved. And... Easily, the number one thing that I needed to improve as a supervisor, as a colleague, and as a direct report was to be a better listener. And so Laura and I knew what we needed to work on. And I created an action plan over the next three months that was centered around primarily listening. The action plan, I remember, it was called listening to hear and learn. Because I needed to hear what was really being said and learn from it. So I spent a lot of time learning about the impact that listening had on those who were around me, the team that I led, the people that I worked with, and it was incredibly helpful. Some of the biggest lessons that I learned as a professional came during that three-month period, and I still stay in contact with Laura. She's been a tremendous help in my professional life and the way that I help coach my own clients. One of the things that I found is that listening wasn't just a skill that applied to management or leading teams. It was a skill that could help with sales work too. One of the things that I learned about leadership is that a big part of it is making everybody feel like they're on the team, a part of the team. People need to feel heard, understood, accepted. Ultimately, you want to make them feel like they're part of that group. Because humans are terrified of being rejected. It's a survival skill. It goes way back, thousands of generations. It's wired into our DNA. We had to be accepted by the tribe, by the clan, if we were going to survive. We don't have claws. We don't have fangs, we can't run very fast. We don't have furry coats to keep us warm. We need each other to survive. And if we're cast out of the cave, if we're rejected by the group, we won't be able to survive on our own. Most wedding pros are scared of rejection in so many different parts of the sales process. Discovery calls is one of the ones that I find most terrifying. It's hard to lead your new team that you're creating with the couple and their family. There's a ton of pressure to get it right, to do it well. But you know what? Couples are probably just as scared to get on the discovery call as you are. They don't want to look like fools. We did some research with a client of ours. And one of the things that we got on the feedback form from her clients is that they were scared to get on the call because they didn't know what to ask. If you want to know why so many couples ask about pricing and packages and availability, it's because... Those are the things that come to mind first and they can't think of any other really great questions. And one of the things that you can do during the discovery process is help guide them along by asking the right questions. And the information that you get, you got to accept it. You got to show them that you hear them. Let them know that you understand not just their surface level needs, but those deeper needs. The things that really motivate them. Because ultimately, if you can do that, you'll make them feel important. And when you do, that's when they're going to follow your leadership. And they'll let you guide them to what they want most. What I want to do now is I want to talk about some of the very specific active listening skills that you can develop. And these things will help you in all areas of your life. Not just your sales work, or if you're a leader, the team that you manage, but also with your friends, your spouse, your kids, perfect strangers, because everybody wants to feel heard. Let's talk about six ways that you can up your active listening skills. Number one, pay attention. Not just partial, but full attention. You've got to be 100% present in the moment. Here are some things to do that help you make it possible to sound like you're paying attention over the phone, on a Zoom call, or even in person. Number one, block enough time. Make sure that you have the time to pay attention. If you feel rushed, it will come through. Number two, find a fully private space. You've got to make sure that there are no distractions. One of those distractions is your phone. So put it away. Put it in a drawer. Leave it in a different room. I don't know about you, but when I have an open computer screen in front of me, that's a massive distraction. So don't sit in front of your computer. If you're on Zoom, do not open up screens while you are talking to somebody. We can see the light changing on your face and it's a dead giveaway or the keys on the keyboard. Don't take any chances by letting people see that you're doing something else. And if you're going to take notes, use a pen and paper. Let them know, hey, I'm going to take notes. Is that all right? You may see me looking down. I'm 100% paying attention, but I want to make sure I get the words right. All right. Second active listening skill. You've got to pick up on the tone of what's being said, not just the content of it. The words that people say are about as important as the way that they say them. And if you want to get really good at making couples feel heard, you've got to notice the tone in their voices, the pauses during the conversation, the volume they use, the pace at which they speak. You got to pay attention to all the things, not just the words. Another thing that you've got to get good at is clarifying exactly what's being said. One of the best active listening techniques that you can do is just drill into what your couple is saying. Ask clarifying questions. For example, Let's say you're a floral designer. You're talking with a potential couple who says they want their wedding to be romantic. Sounds great. You can do romantic. But what does romantic mean to them? And is that different than what it means to you? So ask a simple question. Follow up with, what does romantic mean to you? Or tell me more about what romantic looks like when it comes to flowers. Doing this not only gets you the information you need, which is good for you, but it also makes a couple feel heard which is good for them and for you. Another core fundamental active listening skill, paraphrasing, which is basically just repeating back to somebody something that they told you. Now, clarifying through paraphrasing does a few different things. It makes sure that you've got an accurate understanding of the information that they just shared. It also embeds in your mind what it is that you need to remember by saying it again and saying it out loud. You're putting it into your memory. You're depositing it even deeper. And importantly, it shows them again that they're feeling heard and understood. When you can nail what it is that they have shared with you and reflect it back to them, they're 100% certain that you have got it right and you're paying attention. Number five, stay interested. When others talk, are you listening? Or are you thinking about what you're going to say next? If you're like most people, You're thinking about what you're going to say next. In fact, you could be thinking about something else right now as I talk. How many times do you find yourself wandering in your own mind? Well, it's the same with conversations that you have with your clients, but you usually don't ask people to repeat back to you what they just said. Instead, you just nod your head and pretend like you heard it, and you try and infer from what they're saying now what they said a second ago. Instead of wandering around, Losing your way, stay interested. Tune into every single word that they're telling you. Don't get in your head. And importantly, wait a moment to respond after they stop talking. Give them some space. If you do, they'll notice a difference in you as the potential vendor. You're the one that's letting them finish. The sixth skill that you can develop as an active listener is to avoid shift responses. Now, Shift responses are what you do when somebody tells you something and you shift the topic of conversation from them to you. Instead, what we want to do is we want to use support responses where we dig in even more to what it is that they're saying. I'm awful at shift responses. Somebody will tell me something, for instance, about what their weekend was like, and there'll be something that was similar to what I did or an experience that I've had in the past. And I'll say something like, Oh my gosh, that was just like this thing that I did, or I love what they did. That's a shift response. Instead, what we want to use is a support response. Something like that sounds like fun. How was it for the whole family? Or was that your first time going to that destination? That's a support response that encourages them to continue talking rather than shift the conversation back to you. I hope these six tips will help you become a better listener. I know they've helped me not just be a better salesperson, but to be a better boss, to be a better teammate, to be a better husband, a better dad, a better friend, a better coach. And I'm still working on being a better listener. It's a lifelong process for me. Just like being a better business owner. We aren't born being great at it. We need to find help, direction, guidance, support from experts, mentors, coaches, and then we need to practice. But I can promise you, when it comes to booking more clients, to being more successful with your business, and I know it sounds counterintuitive. But the less that you try to sell, the more you're going to get people to buy your services. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short, but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we would settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through.